0: The signposts of Shavuot, Shavuot, aka Pentecost, also known as it's something that's historically and ceremonial, ceremonially connected to the annual memorials of Pesach or Passover and Matzot and unleavened bread by the the fifty days that are in between, and uh, what what we are. Taking a look at also is that God's instructions for Shavuot are are connected to a harvest, and we'll be talking more about that here shortly. But what we can glean from this is the deeper meaning of this thematic linkage to Pesach by time, and also to the giving of the Ten Commandments at Sinai and to the widespread outpouring of the Spirit and things that we can see. There's far as themes go. Pesach, about being freed from bondage, a.k.a. with the the big 50-cent word of justification. And with Matzot, or the unleavened bread, about being purged from the mindset of the former life. That's another 50-cent word of sanctification. And then with Shavuot, we learn what it means to be adopted into the family of the bondage breaker, the one who broke our bonds and freed us. How to live that out and how to offer that invitation to other people of uh, what we also call sanctification. So what you can see through all of these things between, between Pesach and Matzot and Shavuot, Passover, Unleavened Bread and Pentecost, that these are all part of a message that you, your past life, you're freed from your past life and you're bringing brought into a new life. And that the, the important message is, is that you are freed before you are decreed, before you are given the instructions of where to go next. So that's an important message when we talk to our brothers and sisters in the body of Messiah who. Uh, Get the idea that, well, you know, you uh, have to do these things before you're, quote, saved. And the message that we have of these three annual memorials is that you are freed before you are given the decrees, before you're given the instructions. So, one of the messages that we get out of all of that is that this message of freedom, uh, that's freedom from our past but also how to find contentment with the present even has <laughs> um disconcerting and uh, uncomfortable and frustrating as the times that we live in now with the restrictions that are on us and also strength for the future and that this message is not only just for not just for Israel and also the greater commonwealth of Israel which we'll be talking about shortly, but also the whole world to be brought into the greater commonwealth of Israel to be grafted in to the, to the olive tree. So as we continue on, we be looking at why it's called Shavuot, why is it called Pentecost, what's with the 50 days. So when we move on further, we see that there are three pilgrimage festivals in the... that men of Israel are to be congregating, going up three times a year, once at Passover, once at Shavuot, and once at Sukkot. And what we see in the themes of, when you look at the bigger image of all these annual memorials, what are the messages you get? You get the Pesach, Matzot, and Bikarim are uh, first fruits there of deliverance and transformation. We just talked about that. At Shavuot, you get the first harvest coming forward and Sukkot about the final harvest. So, harvest theme throughout all of these things. So, with Shavuot, you got many names for it, but really one Chag or one festival, one memorial. One of the names for it is the Chag HaKatzir Ha HaAsekia. So, one of the ideas of that is the harvest, the feast of the harvest of the first fruits of your labor from Exodus twenty-three sixteen. That's one name for it. Another name for it is Chag Shavuot or the feast of Shavuot or the, the feast of what we see Shavuot or a week or seven. And interestingly, from that, uh, that shavar, to make an oath, thus, when you, people talk about, oh, seven is a symbol for completion. Well, where do you get that from? Well, it comes from the root word for seven, from the verb of to make an oath or to make something stand. So, what is this communicating? It's communicating completeness or assurance, the days of creation, six, and then seven, completed. You're ready to move on. That the, the work of creation done, now ready to move on into what do you do with what has been created. Another name for Shavuot is the Bekarei Katsir Chitim, or the Feast of the Firstfruits of the Wheat, found in Exodus 34.22 and Numbers 28.26. And one of the things that our brothers and sisters in the greater family of Messiah know it as is Pentecost Day, or where we get Pentecost from, which just means a Greek for 50th or 50th day. And it's mentioned in Acts 2 and 20 and also in First Corinthians chapter 16. Another name for it is Yom HaBikarim, or the Day of the Firstfruits. And it's what it became known as in later rabbinical literature and found in the Mishnah in Tractate to Bikarim, section 3. So, what do we see here for why it's 50 days? So, Shavuot held at the end of seven weeks, or seven sevens plus one day. We see that in Leviticus 23. And you also see that another cycle of 50 days, we just read about here recently, with the the obel or the jubilee year, that's held on the 50th year of the communal count. It's a part of what the count of the entire congregation, and that is the year after seven cycles of release years, or what is commonly called the, the shemitah or the release years. Read about more of that in Numbers 25. So, you see, Shavuot is following in a similar manner to the Yobel. It follows seven sevens of days from the release from Egypt. So, release with the Yobel, the Jubilee year, release with Shavuot, and picturing release from Egypt. So, both of those are for release. But just as we talked about recently regarding the challenges that uh, Israel in later years found with actually following through with the Shemitah and following through with the Yobel is that if you don't actually take that forward to a destination, you will end up regretting the journey. And later Israel regretted the journey down the road to release, they tried to take back the people, and and uh, with a with wonderful irony, in the true sense of the term, irony is that Israel thought that they were being enslaved by going through with the obel and losing their slaves and servants and such, and not releasing them, not letting the land rest. Well, the Lord said, "Well, if you don't." Let the people rest. If you don't let the land rest, I'm going to make you rest. And I'm going to take you off to a foreign land and the land will have its rest. It will have its stop point, whether you want to or not. So, the, the funny thing of thinking that you're being enslaved by releasing it and the Lord ends up um, putting the people into a form of bondage for a time. Be talking more about that here later as well. So, yet the mini releases of the Obel uh, each seven years, having a form of release until the great release on the year after the seven cycles of it. So, both the Shavuot, both the Obel, are have this picture of a new beginning. We've talked about the seven and plus one or eight. Kind of like with the eighth day, the day following Sukkot, picturing a new beginning and the number eight. So just like the number seven comes from a word that means oath, the number eight is from a word that means to be fat or to be plenty. So it's a picture of entering something new and having something more. So thus, you have a picture of both Shavuot and both the Yobel are picturing entering something new, a new place. That you will actually go somewhere new if you allow the land to rest, if you allow the debts to, quote, rest, to be um, remitted, if you allow the land to return, if you – and in the case of Shavuot, if you are not only freed from the land, but you go and form this new relationship and you actually take – a, a really serious devotion to the one who freed you and not just say, ah, thanks, but no thanks. And then go on your merry way. So as we go on, you can see that there's no wonder that Yeshua quoted from Isaiah 61, which is uh, riffing on the Obel when it talks about the year of the Lord's favor. And, That this good news being preached to the poor or those who are lacking, that's a message for all of Israel to realize, hey, you're not as, quote, rich as you think you are. An interesting thing to note is also you see in the apocryphal book of the Jubilees, and also in the writings of Philo, that this number 50 comes into focus even more. So thus you can see that both the 50th year, the year of the Jubilee, and the 50th day, the Pentecost day, are really all talking about the same theme, and the theme is liberty. A time of liberty, remission of sin, a new beginning, and a new hope. And that's from uh, Dr. Bakayoki of uh, From Sabbath to Sunday uh, fame in his uh, scholarly work on that one. So more on the the primer, the background of Shavuot. We talked about it's part of the the wheat harvest or the Chita, and um, that Chita comes from a verb or to make to bring about ripeness to reach its fullness. So. Uh, we're talked about harvests and this being the, the second harvest. The, the first harvest started right around the Passover time with uh, the first fruits, bringing in the first fruits of the first crop. So the second crop coming in is the wheat crop. And interestingly, you have the picture of the first generation, so to speak, with the first harvest of the barley, the second generation, the wheat harvest, so to speak. So... You see the, the also the picture of Yeshua being harvested from the grave, as Paul talks about as the first fruits of the resurrection. So the first fruits of the crop, and the second fruits, so to speak, of the crop, there in Shavuot at following his death and resurrection, and then return on the fortieth day of the count, and recorded in Acts chapter two, in the first fruits of that you could say second generation coming out. Just a little overview. It's found in Leviticus 23 verses 17 through 20 of what the various offerings are. The Tefunah, the wave offering and the Ola offering and the Mincha and the Nesek, the drink offering, the chatat, the sin offering and the Shalem, the peace offering. And, the similar formulas you see with the with the other festivals, but as we've talked about it, you start seeing a lot of the themes that we've talked about already. the The types of offerings that are being used, the number of things that are being used, and communicating a lot of the same message of seven completion um, and the 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 grain that are being offered. Picture of um, uh, things. The crop that's being brought in, and uh, something that uh, Daniel just went over a few weeks ago, talking about the the leaven and one of the lessons of the festival in between. So you got the the Pesach, the release, the Passover, your release from bondage, and then that immediately goes into so release from bondage. Then you've got the days of Matzot, the seven days of Matzot, so you have that purging of what's within you. And Daniel went over with a Bible study of the four types of leaven found in the Bible. He um, talked about sexual uh, degeneracy, spiritual arrogance, abuse of power, and syncretism, or mixing of beliefs. Specifically, in this case, mixing the teachings of God with those of the nations around then he also talked at length about the two lessons from Unleavened Bread, in which the lessons of Unleavened Bread is your conduct does matter, and that we are to live from every word that comes out of God's mouth. They're quoted from Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, verse 8. Oh, actually, in chapter 8, I apologize. And a message of... Uh, Unleavened bread also is that the law of God is our unleavened bread, and as Paul puts it, um, of sincerity and truth. So, what are the things that are sincere? What are the things that are transparent before us? The law of God. God reveals who he is, and that's a big message of what Shavuot is about. And if you want to go on more about this, it goes on at quite a lot of length at halal.info.com. M-A-T-Z-O-T-2020-11. dash So, if you want to check that out, there's a whole lot more. There was so much that Daniel had to say, he had to actually put it into a two-parter. So, there's a, it's divided into two parts between what the message of the firstborn is during the days of Unleavened Bread and also the message of Leaven. So, our one of the first stops we're going to be looking at in the Word today is the path to the mountain and that path laid out at the beginning part of Exodus where the Lord was uh, reintroducing himself to Israel and meeting for with, uh, with Moses. So in Exodus chapter six, verses two through nine, you can see the um, themes that are brought forward. This is like laying things out as to where, the people are going to go in coming out of bondage, what is going to be happening to them in the process. So in Exodus chapter six, uh, verses two through nine says, God spoke further to Moshe and said to him, I am the Lord. And I appeared to Abraham, to Yitzhak, to the alcove as God almighty. But by my name, Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they sojourned. Furthermore, I have heard the groanings of the sons of Israel because the people of Mitzrayim are holding them in hostage, in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Then I will take you for my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Who brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians? I will bring you to the land which I swore to give to Avraham, to Yitzhak, and Yaakov, and I will give it to you for possession. I am the Lord. So Moshe spoke thus to the sons of Israel, but they did not listen to Moshe on account of their despondency and cruel bondage. So. Yeah, a lesson also for us that we don't get so absorbed in the things that are going on about us. Kind of like with the the, the parable of the the sower that Yeshua taught, that we don't get so consumed with the things going on and the woes of our life that we miss the message of freedom, the freedom from bondage that uh, heaven is giving to us. So, from this passage comes... The four aspects that are memorialized in the four cups during Pesach, and um, part of the tradition that comes from in the four cups is first the cup of you know deliverance, the delivering you out of bondage, the redemption, redeeming you with power, and that redemption. Uh, comes from gaal, or to redeem, to act as a kinsman. So when you talk about the kinsman redeemer that you see later on, and uh, exemplified in the uh, story of Ruth and Boaz, and um, let's see, one of the the other interesting aspects of the the Ga'al is the, the Go'el Haddam, or the Avenger of Blood, that you see later on in the Torah. As it talks about the Avenger of Blood uh, coming <laughs> after a crime, uh, after a murder, after someone has been killed. And thus came up with the cities of refuge. One of the third aspects of this passage in Exodus 6, it talks about to take you into the family of God. Exemplified there in the first two chapters of Ruth, you know, where she says, "You know, uh, your God will be my God, and your people will be my people." To assent to that, so that's why you have Ruth uh, in the the genealogy of um, the Mashiach, and you also have Rahab also being exemplified as a a figure of renown because she went against. Her own people, even inside of the big, strong walls that the um, people in the first generation were so afraid of when they came up to the land and they sent spies in and said, oh, the walls are so high. Well, one of the people who lived in one of those cities with the tall walls um, said, hmm, and we've heard about the legacy of the God of Israel, and I will side with you over being inside these big, strong walls. And uh, lastly, uh, the passage from Exodus 6, you get this picture of deliverance, to deliver you to where you belong. So, the stage set there in Exodus chapter 6 for the journey that would be going. But you see, even at the beginning part of Exodus 6, that they couldn't, the the, the hearers that uh, Moshe was telling this to, they couldn't hear it, they couldn't absorb it, because they were absorbed with their with their own, it says, their despondency and the suffering that they were going through. And that picture of deliverance uh, shown in, especially in Hebrews 3 through 4, uh, chapters 3 and 4, where it talks about entering his rest, riffing on Psalm 95. The picture of, we talked about the spies earlier, you get up to the land, The place where you belong, the place where the Lord says he's delivering you to, but the road looks too hard, the people too tall, the walls too thick, etc. But do you actually go in, or do you decide to fear that the Lord is not going to be with you? So, which brings us to the place where it was promised to go, Exodus 19 and 20. So, be checking those passages out here. So, turning to Exodus chapter 19. In the third month, after the sons of Israel had gone out of the land of Mitzrayim, on that very day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. And they, uh, when they set out from Ephedim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and camped at and uh, camped in the wilderness, and there Yisrael camped in front of the mountain. Moshe went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Yaakov and to the sons of Israel: You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, Then you shall be my possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you will speak to the sons of Israel. So Moshe came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words which the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moshe brought back the words of the people to the Lord. The Lord said to Moshe, Behold, I will come to you in a thick cloud, so the people may hear when I speak with you and may believe in you forever. Then Moshe told the words of the people to the Lord. The Lord said also to Moshe, "'Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, "'and let them wash their garments, "'and let them be ready for the third day. "'For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai "'in the sight of the people. "'You shall set bounds for the people all round, "'saying, Beware that you do not go up on the mountain "'or touch the border of it. "'Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. "'No hand shall touch him.' But he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the ram's horn sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moshe went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. He said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. So it came about on the third day, when it was morning that there was thunder and lightning flashes and thick cloud upon the mountain and a very loud trumpet sound, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moshe brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire, and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked violently. When the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moshe spoke, and God answered him with thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moshe to the top of the mountain, and Moshe went up. Then the Lord spoke to Moshe, "'Go down, warn the people that they do not break through to the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish.'" Also let the priests who come nearer to the Lord consecrate themselves, or else the Lord will break out against them. Well, she said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you warned us, saying, set bounds about the mountain and consecrate it. Then the Lord said to him, Go down and come up again, you and Aharon with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through and come up to the Lord. He will break forth upon them. So Moshe went down to the people and told them. Chapter 20 Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Mitzrayim, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or the cattle or the sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or, your, or his female servant or his um, male servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. All the people perceived the thunder and lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. Then they said to Moshe, speak to us yourself or and we will listen, but let not God speak to us or we will die. Moshe said to the people, do not be afraid for God has come in order to test you in order that the fear of him may remain in you so that you may not sin so the people stood at a distance while moshe approached the thick cloud where god was then the lord said to moshe thus you shall say to the sons of israel you yourselves have seen that i have spoken to you from heaven you shall not make other gods besides me gods of silver or gods of gold you shall not make for your uh, and you shall not make for yourselves You shall make an altar of earth for me, and you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen, in every place where I cause my name to be remembered. I will come to you and bless you. If you make an altar of stone for me, you shall not build it with cut stones, or if you wield your tool upon it, you will profane it. And you shall not go up on by steps to my altar, so that your nakedness will not be exposed on it. So there we go. And they talk about going up to meet God. We have those two chapters, chapters 19, chapters 20, where that fulfillment earlier in Exodus chapter 6 is brought to a fulfillment there. So we see that... The, in this, the Lord intends for all believers, and see in chapter nineteen, to be priests, uh, a a uh, nation of priests, and a part of that is uh, what is a priest's role—to bring offerings forward. And uh, as we have discussed, as we went through the book of Vaicra or Leviticus, what is the message of the korbanot or the offerings that? Those people are being brought near through the Korbanot. So yes, you're bringing bringing whatever it is near, closer to the presence of God there in the Mishkan and the tabernacle. But what is really to be brought near, it's the people and the hearts of the people, who they are on the inside. That is what is to be coming forward and being brought near. And that is what the original intention has been from the beginning and what it remains to be for this day. So we see also that Paul is uh, taught about forming this olive tree of Israel there in Romans chapter 11. It really starts in chapter 9 of Romans and leads up through chapter 11 and talking about this family of Israel that's going to be brought together and that this olive tree the olive tree that the Lord planted, Israel, that uh, there were the natural parts of it, the parts that grew out of what was originally planted and the people and the the physical descendants that came from that, from the family of Avraham. But there would be more that would be grafted onto that tree. And the lesson of the olive tree and the lesson that Yeshua taught About, you know, that uh, God can make uh, from stones the descendants of Abraham. That just because you were born into the family doesn't mean that you are staying in the family or want to stay in the family. And Paul talks also in Ephesians chapter 2 about the commonwealth of Israel and those who are far off and those who are brought near. And the picture of far off and brought near is... Uh, temple, tabernacle language of who it is and what is brought near, and that is the the hearts of the people. But one of the also the lessons that we saw from Vaikra is that those who come near to the presence of the Lord must have the dirt, whatever that is unclean or unfit to approach the presence, that of the previous lifestyle must be removed and that you have to take this transformation seriously you know not just you dive into the into the mud bog you get the quick shower and then you go headlong and do a half gainer back into the mud bog again because you like it you like to roll around in it it's yeah you know, nice and cool and gooey and such like that and As the very graphic um, proverb puts it about uh, a dog returning to his vomit, you think, oh, that's just disgusting. Well, it, it should be disgusting for us to think about that way of life. Do we really, really think that our old way of life was actual bondage, was actual slavery? Or is it just a change in lifestyle? Kind of like changing your hat or changing your coat, putting on different shoes. You're gonna, yeah, you know, maybe go to a different house, but you know, you can go back to that house every so often. Yeah, the food was the the food was better. You know, sometimes you go back and get the the food being better. Maybe the music was better. Yeah, you know, better entertainment. Kind of check in and stop by the house every so often. So, is, is that how we treat the house of slavery that we saw in Exodus chapter 20 that, we, that we've been delivered from? Is, is that how we treat it? Kind of like, eh, it, it's an option. May, may go visit it from time to time, kind of check in, get a new t shirt. But one of the lessons that we see of the Korbanot in Va'ikra, and especially of Yom HaKippurim uh, there in Leviticus chapter 16, is that. This transformation, this utter removal, especially of the really nasty stuff that you see on Yom HaKippurim, the Day of Atonement, the iniquities, not not just just transgressions and uh, the sins, but the iniquities, the outright rebellion, the, the treasonous behavior to the kingdom of God, to the family of God, that those things are removed. And it's the high priest who does the removal. The, the picture of it is that, yes, if you want to be truly approaching the presence, all of those things have to be removed. so we look at it well, the ten Commandments are they impossible to keep are the is it basically just setting us up for failure, uh, like some people assert the the tree of knowledge of good and evil there in Eden was just setting up the first people for failure. Is this also, as some will put it, and we, we touched on it just in a, in a previous um, study of the, of the weekly Torah readings that why, why was the law added for transgression? Was it added just to torture us, to make us feel like we were worthless? Or was it to delineate, how bad the house of bondage actually is, and to point us, say, "Hey, there is a better way to live, so hopefully we are not so like in we read in Exodus chapter six, we're not so despondent by our way of life thinking things are hopeless that we just can't even hear that God is throwing us a lifeline and saying, "Hey, I will." Take you out of this land, as it talked about there. And then when the passage we just read took you out on eagle's wings, you know, riding, riding high above it all with with power and speed. So, one of the things that you see the one of the last messages of the second to the second generation of the Exodus suggests that, no, this is not impossible, that the Lord is not setting us up for failure. The passage here in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 through 16 says, For this commandment, which I command you today, is not too difficult for you, nor is it out of reach. It is not in heaven that you should say who will go up to heaven for us to get it for us and make us hear it that we may observe it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say who will cross the sea for us and get it for us and make us hear it that we may observe it. But the word is very near to you in your mouth and in your heart that you may observe it. See, I've set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land you are entering to possess. So, we see in in this passage here that this is not setting up for failure. But just like we saw with the Day of Atonement, And just like we see with the whole message of the korbanot and the tabernacle, that the Lord wants us to approach his presence, but we cannot go in as we are. We have to be transformed in the process. The word of the Lord is near to us in your mouth and in your heart. And this meeting at the mountain that we just read about in Exodus 19 and 20 is bringing the people to the mountain to meet to hear these words but are the words in our mouths meaning that it's a part of our life and in our heart meaning that it's coming out of the very essence of who we are or is it just something you put on the shelf so kind of like you know the house of the house of bondage you know they have good ribs and you just pass by every so often to uh, check out the house of bondage Maybe they got good music, good ribs. You check in every so often. Is it like the house of God? You just kind of swing by every so often. Maybe they got some uh, good music from time to time. Maybe good meals from time to time. Is, is that how we, we treat life? Because if we treat these as just kind of passing, um, passing attractions, then over time we will see that uh, the attraction of the house of bondage is much higher, even though you can see, you know, as you look over the horizon, you, you catch uh, the Lord's vision of what the future is really with these, these paths and where they go, we see that it is truly death and adversity. That is where the house of bondage goes. And the house of God is really to life and prosperity. But it takes trust to see, hey, this is actually the direction where it should go. We talked earlier about what happened with Israel later on, some hundreds of years later where they decided that the Shemitah, the Yobel, the the years of rest were and the years of release were just too much work, too difficult, too much of a burden. And suddenly they realized how much of a burden the alternative was, because they were not just um, heading their own uh, legacy down the road toward death and adversity, but by damaging their role as the nation of priests, they were damaging all the other people who were to be hearing about this. Because one of the things that we we saw in the passage that we went through was, in chapter twenty, in chapter twenty, and verse eighteen, all the people perceived the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. So, <laughs> New, Amer- New American Standard <laughs> takes kind of the the middle road when uh, it says that the people perceived the thunder and the lightning flashes you, guys, you have other translations where they talk about this encounter will say well they 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 saw the trumpets or they 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 heard the trumpets but actually there in hebrew it's talking about that they saw the flames and the and the fire and the lightning and you're like that that seems very odd to be uh, seeing a voice and seeing these things, but one of the things that's why a companion passage for this is often uh, in Ezekiel chapter one is there you, you see the the passage of these flames that are darting back and forth around the dwelling place of God, and so the message that got picked up later on is to why are you actually seeing a voice and the scene, the voice is connected to the flames and the flashes and the thunder and, and the lightning. So thus this picture of a voice and fire and the message of God came down as this was a message to the nations. And thus the tradition came up that this was a, uh, actually a, uh, A call that went out to all the 70 nations, and as the tradition goes, only Israel picked it up. Oh, we we have a hand up there. Rose? Yes. Yep. Yeah, they're. Yeah, but you know, it it isn't. It is an interesting lesson in this case, as we're seeing in in at the end of Exodus twenty, that even with all of these uh, visual and auditory manifestations of the power of God, what was the people's response? Moshe, you talk to them. <laughs> we're 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 so we're so freaked out by this. So thus you see kind of down to the message uh, that we're seeing here in Deuteronomy chapter 30, that this message is to get a closer relationship with the Lord so that, his words are in our mouths. We we talk about them regularly. They're in our hearts. They're a part of who we are, not just something we, we do once a week or you know once every few months or once a year or something like that. This is a part of who we are and it comes out that way. Um and so thus the point of it is that it it mentions uh later on in this passage that in this relationship, we love the Lord. But what is the point of loving? Is just kind of like a lovey-dovey, send a Hallmark card ever so often. It says, loving the Lord to walk in his ways and keep his commandments, statutes, and judgments. That's why you see in that uh, farewell address during the Pesach, That's Yeshua was talking with the, I guess it was the 11 by that point, but he says, you know, if you will love me, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's the similar message here. If you love the Lord, you will want to do and want to go that direction because you see that where is the Lord leading you? The Lord is leading you towards life. Towards home, towards life and prosperity, not towards death and adversity. So, thus we will be seeing this picture again as we get over to the first couple chapters of Acts. But um, one of the things that we can we can have a conversation with our brothers and sisters in the body of Messiah, and also with the house of Yehuda and synagogue is that hey there was this this picture that's the that the power of god was was manifesting was going out like flames of fire but was that all just a show to scare people to death that they will just say hey whatever you say uh just don't don't talk to us anymore or is it to want a closer relationship What is your response to that kind of a show of power? Do you just shirk away from it or do you move closer to it? One of the things that Yeshua said there in John chapter three is he was talking about that when the uh, light comes, (coughs) excuse me. when the light comes people may shirk away from it cuz they are scared of what the light is going to reveal about them so yeah so they as the the old proverbial turning the lights on and the cockroaches scurry for the for the uh, cracks and crevices you know uh, are we living like cockroaches where we're afraid that we're going to get squashed or is it that the other reaction that you see in the Sermon on the Mount where it says, let your light shine before men so that they will do what? Give you an award, put you on TV. No, that they will praise their father in heaven because they realize what the source of it, what the source of it is, that the source of the good deeds that are in your mouth and in your heart, and they will know where that comes from. So, Again, another passage where we ask, well, are we being set up to fail? There's a passage from uh, Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. It's the the New Covenant prophecy, also the companion passage over in Ezekiel 36. And it's good to kind of keep these together when we talk about the Ten Commandments, when we talk about this revelation of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord as the, the The Ten Commandments are called the tablets of the testimony, the, uh, you know, God's calling card, his uh, resume, so to speak, in condensed form. But are we being set up to fail? We just saw in Deuteronomy 30. No, we're not being set up to fail. We're being set up for life and prosperity. So how then is this possible? We see it with the prophecy prophecy prophecies the the two witnesses of the new covenant prophecy first in jeremiah chapter 31 behold the days are coming declares the lord when i will make a new covenant with the house of israel and with the house of judah not like the covenant which i made with their fathers in the day i took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of mizraim my covenant which they broke "'although I was a husband to them,' declares the Lord. "'But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days,' declares the Lord. "'I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. "'I will be their God, and they shall be my people. "'They will not teach again, each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, "'Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them,' declares the Lord." For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. Hallelujah. So one of the the great things we get from this when we're talking about what is the new covenant. One of the things that's stated there first off is it's not going to be like the covenant that was made before. Does that mean we just kind of toss the whole thing out? Because ah that was defective. No, it says going on. Made the not like the covenant I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand, out of the land of Mitzrayim. My covenant which they broke, and we're going to continue on in Exodus. We just read here in in recent weeks about the breaking of that covenant, and you know, it started there pretty early and with the manifestation of the the golden calf. But there was lots of other rebellions and slights and terrible affronts that the people did against the, as it says, I was a husband to them, the one who took them by eagle's wings out of the house of slavery. That's what was the problem. The covenant was broken. So what was the result? Just tear the whole thing up, throw it in the dustbin, and you know, hit the reboot button? Or is it, says, but this is the covenant, which I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law within them and on their heart, I will write it. We just saw that back in Deuteronomy chapter 30, very similar thing about on their heart, you know, in the mouth, on their heart, a part of you that then what is your response when the words of the Lord are on your mouth, when they're in your heart, Then. You love the Lord, and not just a a syrupy, saccharine sort of love. It is a love that prompts you to want to please, to want to go forward and do what the one you love wants you to do. Because you trust the person you love. And... One of the things that you see is that in this new covenant, it's to put the law within them on their heart, write it, I will be their God and they shall be my people. So, again, just like we saw in Exodus chapter 19, that this is what the plan was, not a setup to fail, but a setup to um, prevail, not to fail, but to prevail, to conquer, to move forward in life and prosperity. And you see it continuing on, I will be their God and they shall be my people. Adoption, continuing on, they will not teach again, each man his neighbor, each man his brother saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. And as we see there that that promise coming to uh, know the Lord more fully, they're coming with the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us to Bring the knowledge of the Lord closer, all with the point of bringing the glory to God. And one of the the greatest things is that knowing the Lord from the least of them to the greatest of them, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. So, what is the point of uh, the? knowing the Lord more deeply that there will be this discharging, this sending away of the iniquity, just like we saw in the day of atonement and their sin. I will remember no more what was held, held against the person, the deviation that the person had made from this relationship of trust and respect and honor and obedience that that won't be a part of the way of life anymore. So on to the Ezekiel passage, Ezekiel 36. And uh, the the chunk of it is really, you know, verses 25 through 27, but we'll just kind of catch a few verses uh, around it to give you a really good context of it. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which you have profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. When I prove myself holy among you in their sight, For I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. You will live in the land that I give to your forefathers. So you will be my people and I will be your God. Moreover, I will save you from all of your uncleanness and I will call for the grain and multiply it. And I will not bring a famine upon you. So, Again, the question, set up to fail? Hardly. (laughs) This is uh, quite the opposite. And we see, just like we saw in the passage there in Jeremiah, the, so you will be my people and I will be your God. That was what we saw there at Sinai in Exodus 19.20. It's what we saw in Jeremiah. It's what we're seeing here in Ezekiel again and again and again. It is, what is the point of all this? It is a relationship and a transformation. So the, the message there of Pesach, of Matzot, of Shavuot is progression from bondage to freedom. And from a freedom that has a direction that leads to more freedom, which is, <laughs> you could say, is kind of the point of where the Apostle Yaakov is talking about when he says there, the law of liberty in the the letter to James. So with this, we see, you know, the, is, is this impossible or the 10 commandments sent to be a chain around our necks to drag us back into the house of bondage? Or are we seeing this as being, as the Psalmist says that because of your laws, I can walk at, at, um, I can walk with freedom or I can walk at liberty because why? You know where the boundaries are between life and prosperity or death and uh, destruction and leading to futility on the other side. So with that, we go on to our next passage. We'll be looking at in Acts chapter 1 and 2. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Yeshua began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Yerushalayim, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which, he said, you heard of from me. For Yohanan baptized with water, but I, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it time you are, you're you restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs, or uh, which the father is fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Yerushalayim and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. After he has said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Yeshua, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the way you've seen uh, as you have watched him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem. Shabbat day's journey away. When they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, that is, Peter, and Yochanan, and Yaakov, and Andrew, and Philip, and Thomas, and Bartholomew, Matthias, Yaakov, the son of Alphaeus, and Shimon, the zealot, and Yehuda the son of Yaakov. These all, with one mind, were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women, and Mary, and the mother of Yeshua, and with his brothers. At this time, Kepha stood up in the midst of the brethren. A gathering of about 120 persons was there together and said, Brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which said, which the Holy Spirit foretold in the mouth of David concerning Yehuda, who became a guide to those who arrested Yeshua. For he was counted among us and received his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the price of his wickedness and falling headlong. He burst open in the middle and all his intestines gushed out and it became known to all who were living in Yerushalayim so that in their own language, that field was called Hakadalma. That is the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his homestead be made desolate and let no one dwell in it and let another man take his office. Therefore, it is necessary that the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Yeshua went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of Yohanan until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they put forward two men, Yosef called Barsabbas, who was also called Yostas, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, you Lord, you know the hearts of all men. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to occupy this ministry and apostleship from which Yehuda turned aside to go to his own place. And they drew lots for them and the lot fell to Matthias. And he was added to the 11. Chapter two. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues of fire distributing themselves and they rested on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak into other tongues as the, as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Yehudim living in Jerusalem devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished saying, why are, are not all these who are speaking to us Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, and Phrygia and Pamphylia and Mitzrayim and the districts of Libya and Cyrene, the visitors from Rome, both the Yehudim and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them in our own tongues speaking the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking and saying, They are full of sweet wine. But Kepha, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all who live in Yerushalayim, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Yoel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour pour forth of my spirit on mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood. Therefore, the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come, and it shall be that everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to these words Yeshua the Nazareth, a man attested to you by God, and miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he was at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. And so, because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on the throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Mashiach, that he was neither abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Yeshua God raised up again, to which we were all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he was poured forth uh, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and and Mashiach, this Yeshua, whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Kepha and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Kepha said to them, Repent, and each one of you be baptized in the name of Yeshua and Mashiach for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many of the words he solemnly testified and kept exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about three thousand souls. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day, those who were being saved. So thus we see far from being set up to fail. This is really a part of what the Lord has been doing from the very beginning. We saw there from the, in Exodus chapter six, the telling, Hey, this is going somewhere. You are going to be a part of something. We've seen it there in Exodus 19, that this is going to be a part adopting. uh, You are going to be my prized possession that the Lord said to Israel. And then, a revelation of the Lord's testimony, who the Lord is. And we saw there in Deuteronomy 30, we saw in Jeremiah 31, we saw in Ezekiel 36, that these were a part of the mission of God to bring the people close, that there will be this relationship, that that they will be an adopted people and that he would be their God. And so, we see here that this bringing down as a part of this legacy throughout all these generations, that this is what the fulfillment would be. So, we see some connections between the Shavuot to the first Pesach that we had read about earlier, and the Shavuot after Yeshua as the Pesach, so uh, the the interesting connections there, that Yeshua being the Lamb who took away the sins of the world. So we see in one of the first connections that the the first Shavuot, that God is really rebuilding the descendants of Avraham as an assembly. So, you know, one of the things you see in Isaiah 45 when he's saying, did did I create this to be nothing? No, it didn't create Israel to be nothing, to just disappear, to go off into exile and just totally disappear, to go off into the house of bondage and disappear. No, this was a promise that went to Avraham, went through the house of bondage and out the other side. So that when we talk about those who have the faith of Avraham and be called the descendants of Avraham, that trust, that we are being brought out the other side of the house of bondage and being brought to the land, the land of rest, the place where we belong. That is a part of the promise. And we see it there at Shavuot that that God is building his assembly on the children of Avraham, not just the physical descendants, but those who would join in and trust that the anointed one was their path out. We see also that at the Shavuot there, that first Shavuot there at the mountain, that God delivers his Torah to the people, written by his finger on the tablets of stone. There is described in Exodus 31. And we saw in the new covenant passages, the foretelling that the Lord would be writing his Torah on the tablets of our hearts. And that is, Something brought to completion, but again, transformation. And as we saw back in Deuteronomy, and as we saw with the um, remembering what we learned from Vaicra and Leviticus, we see that this is a continual thing that was going on, a happened at that time. It would be something that would happen in the future, and it would be something that would go out to the nations with power. But it has been the plan and the way it has worked all the way from the very beginning. We saw at the the first shavuot there at the mountain that this the Torah was about, the teaching, the lesson. It was about learning about the Lord and. We see there in Deuteronomy 30, it was about learning it. So it would be on our lips and on our hearts. It would be the big old 50 cent word internalized. It would become a part of who we are. So more than just law. And as we see at that Shavuot there in Acts chapter two, that's God's spirit teaches us about him. How life should work. and. We referenced it in passing, but the last discourse of Yeshua there at that Pesach, just um, it would be 50 days earlier at that point, that he was talking to them about how life does work. And that this, the Torah, the law on the heart, is really about the same thing it was back in the time of the Exodus. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. The first Shavuot there at the mountain, God appeared with signs and wonders, spout, sounds of trumpets, uh, the, actually the vision of the trumpets even, as it says there in the language, the quaking ground. And at that Shavuot there in Acts chapter 2, Russian winds, the tongues of fire, very similar sorts of imagery that you saw there at the mountain. At the Shavuot at the mountain, there was the mixed multitude that had come out with with uh, Israel from Mitzrayim as recorded there in chap- Exodus chapter 12. And we saw in, in Ash chapter two, that there was all kinds of people from all over the kingdom, all brought together for what purpose these people from all different places, all with the legacy that God had started through Avraham started that going, pulling together a people and now that legacy by the time of Acts chapter two had spread out over the entire Roman Empire, and in today's world it's spread across the planet to all kinds of quarters of it. At the first Shavuot, you can see that God's glory appeared before the people as fire in the mountain, but the people were kept away. And there at the Shavuot in Acts chapter two. That this fire was the, the you talk about the 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 kolot or the 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 voices and connected with the flames. That this was now resting upon people. We saw uh, visions of that back when uh, the Lord had had lunch, so to speak, with the elders of Israel, and that there were people who had the spirit of God descend upon them and they were prophesying in the camp. So, this idea of the Lord having this change and a, a visible manifestation of it is something that we see even in the time of when the Torah was originally given. So, that comes us down to the end of where we're going today. I hope that you know, as we as we look at this, we see that this is this is something that the Lord has been intending from the very beginning. And these memorials that we have now that we've gone through this first set here in the spring, that from between Pesach Passover, between Matzot unleavened bread, and with uh, with Shavuot the Pentecost, we see that this unit is telling us about deliverance and talking about deliverance into what? Into a life of life and prosperity, not to death and destruction. And as we continue on toward the, the fall appointed times, we'll see also that uh, the picture of deliverance and bringing things to a completion, which is only fitting because it's in the seventh month. Like we talked about before the picture of seven and bringing things to a completion, something that you can count upon. So thus the deliverance that the Lord is bringing to us, which we are commemorating this day as a part of a grand vision for the world, that this is something that we can count on. So thus that we can go To the presence of God with confidence, not arrogance, but confidence that what he has started will be brought to completion and that he is working for our betterment, not for our punishment or um, destruction and frustration. So there, as we close out here, any uh, thoughts, observations? questions
1: yeah i have a question uh the which i am tried to figure out myself i haven't i have not found a solution for it yet i'm sure there is one i still know what it is um so when peter baptizes these three thousand people or so roughly not not he himself but i'm assuming his apostles did as well the three thousand people and since they're in jerusalem I assume they had to baptize them at the Temple Mikvas, because it's the only place you'd baptize of people at. Yes. I would think, maybe I'm just being arrogant in, in my understanding, that I would think that the regular, ordinary priests that hang around there and baptize people would say, what on earth are you doing? Would have intervened and said, what are you, what are you doing to these people? Why are you baptizing these names? But they, they, they kept their mouths shut. I mean, 3,000 people is not nothing. It takes some time. It's like, you're not going to sit there and do it, like, you know, one at a time kind of thing. You got a couple hundred pools there to work with. But, yeah, yeah,
0: well, yeah, the 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 pools that were there at the uh, – around the, the Temple Mount there were quite a lot of them. And there was a lot of people who had come through there uh, leading up to Pesach and the, the other times where people the, – the pilgrims would be would be coming in. So, you know, they were – when when it's talking about that they were all together in one place, that's you know, generally understood to, that they were actually in the in the temple area around the you know the um, the portico areas where a lot of people would would gather. So uh, and
1: no one complained about the fact they were you know baptized in the name of Jesus kind of thing, and no one said what's that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, well, maybe well, they were using a t-
1: full of Siloam because that was kind of out of the way oh, of the priests. they weren't in control of
0: that right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah well you know it's that's that's possible but you know people were already involved with the with the uh with the mikvah um already at that particular time period and one of the things that people have noted is that we have the the modern formula that you know that you I you know baptize you in the name and and continue on with it that there was a formula for it, but in time time before when you would go to a mikvah and even today you know you go through a uh your prayers yourself, and that is that is the thing of what goes on uh even to this particular time period is that you are basically going to baptize yourself um Yo- like yokan there at the yard end was leading people we get this picture that he was you know dunking people under dunking on dunk 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 that's a that's a modern sort of idea of it uh, rather than you know calling people to go in uh, but the point is is that is it the formula or is it what what is transformed inside of you that that's actually going on so that 's that 's one of the the thoughts given at the the time period that uh the approach to the mikvah was something that you would do within yourself because when the descriptions of the mikvah experience going up to the temple was not like they had all these priests sitting there by the mikvah, and every time people would be going in, you know, they'd be each giving a spiel, each giving a spiel. No, each person who was going into the mikvah themselves were saying the prayers themselves as they went in. But
1: well, Maybe that's how the apostles did it with those 3,000 people. They said, here's I mean, what you get, should think about, and you yeah. go up to the mikvah now and dunk yourself.
0: Yeah. And, and, and see, that's also gets to, you know, some people have, um, you know, challenges with, with uh, Passover, just thinking that, hey, you know, you just, you you take the Haggadah and you're just kind of bolting on Yeshua to it. Well, it's like you are, how is it that you are actually approaching it? Like the Apostle Paul says, do this in remembrance of me. So just like going to the mikvah, you are doing that. In the name of, and that that's why, you know, like, um, uh, Dietlitz and some of those, those, uh, early Messianic Jews were thinking that, you know, in the name of could possibly, uh, be translated also as for the sake of. So why is it that you're actually going into this mikvah? You're going in for the mikvah for the cleansing that's, that's talked about, um, related in the Torah and for the cleansing that's, that's talked about with the prophets, but who is the one who is actually really going to be doing the cleansing, especially for the messianic era. That is, you're doing this for the sake of, and for the cleansing of that the Mashiach has actually given you. So that is why you're going in. So when you're a Pesach, why is it you're doing this? You're doing this for the remembrance of him. So, you're, when you're remembering the taking out of Egypt, you're remembering this and remembering that, where is this all leading? It's not just kind of leading the people out to go wander in the desert. It's what? It's leading them to the land. And where is the place where you truly find your rest? As all the prophets talk about, that the where you truly find your rest is for the one who truly brings rest. And that's the pinnacle of that is the Mashiach. I don't know if that, that helps at all, but that's that's the, the the picture of how the mikvah was actually treated in the in the first temple period by the people who were going in. It's like, well, what is the point that you're going in there for the washing of? So you got all these three thousand people who have now been convicted. Wow, I've got something that I really need to wash off. Maybe they'd already, you know, if they were in the temple, they had already gone through the mikveh once, but they're like wow, I didn't realize there was other stuff that I needed God to cleanse for it. So now you go back, back through the mikvah and it's like, okay, now I'm at the mikvah again, but why am I here? I realize there's a whole lot of stuff related to the true legacy of Mashiach that I also need to wash off too.
1: Sounds like a familiar story.
0: <laughs> like a familiar, like, like a, a, a familiar story. So yeah, that's, like that's why we I,
1: are going through.
0: Yes, Exactly. Any other thoughts as we uh, close out?
1: Well, that other—I sent you another chat. If you don't
0: mind. ah, here we go. More, more stuff here. Uh, let's see, also the sages say the new covenant will include a full explanation for each law. Ah, yes. Yeah, basically, that's encapsulated in what the Samaritan woman said, because that was the messianic hope of. The Mashiach was going to be a full explainer, and they get that from what is written there in Deuteronomy, with the when Moshe is foretelling that one like me who's going to be coming, you know, to to listen. But be careful of who you're listening to, <laughs> to make sure that the one who is coming in the kind of the like and manner of Moshe, that he's actually pointing you towards the same God that Moshe was speaking for and not some other God because that was the warning that Moshe gave. You better not miss the one who's coming like me, but you better make sure that he's coming like me. So.
1: Yeah, that was yeah. a big deal. But it's yeah. one, of reasons, one of the reasons why I, I forgot the exact verse where it says, hey, I'm going to send some, I may send people who can produce miracles and, and can tell you the future, all the great stuff. And you better not believe them. Yeah, if they don't. They don't follow suit, which is obviously one of the, one of the many uh, arguments that Judaism has had against the Messiah. In that his interpretation, the interpretation of him is that well, he is now God, and that's different. It, now you're pointing to a different God. Now and, and that Moses says don't do that. Therefore, you know it's garbage. Um, which is interesting, you know conundrum that a lot of us run across through to due to the interpretations and that the way it is taught uh the way messiah is taught but he himself of course didn't do that but that's just how how well, did denominated- so apostle apostle paul w- with his things about really warned us about that too it covered similar topics at times Anyway.
0: Yeah, so th- that's one of the one of the warnings also for for Paul. You know, if, uh, if Paul is interpreted to be saying something that takes takes the Torah in a totally different direction, that puts Paul's credibility at stake as being one who truly is a sent one. Well, who is he sent from? <laughs> the one, if if he truly is a shaliach, a, a sent one, an apostle. Well, who is he sent from? Uh, An apostle is someone like an ambassador who's going to be speaking for and working toward the same goal, not working towards some different goal. So, if the one who sends says, "Uh, I don't think I've come to change the law and the prophets, and then your representative, your Shalai, your sent one, is saying, well, that law and the prophets, that was done away with, then we've got a serious disconnect going on.
1: Once again, only because we don't understand what he was really saying.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's also for what, what mindset you go into it to begin with, because if you have a certain thing in mind, uh, you can reinterpret things any different way. You can twist statistics facts all kinds of things based to to fit your your mindset i know i i face that on a a regular basis when i go in to report a story that i make sure that i realize what sort of preconceived notions i have about it and i watch for it because um there have been some times where i've realized that my preconceived notions have led me to um exclude details That shouldn't have been excluded because I didn't think that was quote relevant, but I was like, well, let the reader decide whether that's relevant or not. My job is just to find out what the details are, not to twist the person's perspective or perception of it. All right, well, let's uh, close out with prayer. Father God, we thank you and praise you for giving giving us these memorials of the things that you're doing, not just long ago but all the way up through our day and into the future. And Father, we ask you that you make us a part of the harvest. We ask that you you come and complete the harvest that you've started. Develop within us the character, the character that goes towards life and prosperity and not towards death and destruction. Continue to purge from us the old way of life and lead us toward the life that really lasts. Father, we thank you for covering over our sins, transgressions, and iniquities through the blood of your Son, Yeshua. And we thank you in his name. Amen. You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. Hallel dot info.